0: Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, A Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Katie F and I'm a compulsive overeater. Today is Friday, May 12, 2017. Today we are reading from the Big Book, Chapter 3, and we are at page 39, the first paragraph. Today's readers are, for the 12 steps, Sally A, for the 12 traditions, Karen C, and reading the text is Leah S, um, the reference number... The reference numbers for Thursday, May eleventh, 2017 are for 7 a.m. 9929 and 10 a.m. 9930. That's 9929 and 9930. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Sally A. to read the 12 steps.
1: Good morning. Good morning. A vision for you is Sally A. Recovered in New York. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Okay. The 12 steps. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over food. That our lives had become unmanageable. Step two came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Step three made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. Step four made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Step five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Step six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Step seven, humbly asked Him to remove our shortcomings. Step eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Step nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Step ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Step eleven, through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. Step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to... Practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for letting me do service. Thank you, Sally. I will now
0: ask Karen C. to read the 12 traditions.
1: Uh, good morning, Katie. Can you hear me? I can. This is Karen C., a very grateful, recovered by God's grace, um, compulsive overeater. The uh, 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends on OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority. In loving God, he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants, they do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop compulsively overeating. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups, or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its (coughs) message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Thus, problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose.
2: Seven,
1: every OA group ought to be fully self supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, AlterEaters Anonymous should remain forever non professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overease Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. And twelve, anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all of our traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for allowing me to do service, Katie, and I pass.
0: Thank you so much, Karen. Okay. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we're discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the Big Book. We're in Chapter 3, page 39. And I will ask Leah S. to begin reading. And she's going to be reading um, two paragraphs. And we will focus our comments on the second paragraph,
3: paragraph, which is about Fred. Okay, go ahead, Leah S. Good morning, Katie. Thank you so much, everybody. Good morning. This is Leah S., a recovered compulsive overeater. That may be true of certain uh, non alcoholic people who, though drinking foolishly and heavily at the present time, are able to stop or moderate because their brains and bodies have been, not been damaged as ours were. The actual or potential alcoholic, with hardly an exception, will be absolutely unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge. This is a point we wish to emphasize and re-emphasize to smash home upon our alcoholic readers as it has been revealed to us out of bitter experience. Let us take another illustration. Fred is a partner in a well-known accounting firm. His income is good. He has a fine home. He is happily married and is the father of promising children of college age. He has attractive um, personality. He makes friends with everyone. If ever there was a successful businessman, it is Fred. To all appearance, he is a stable, well-balanced individual, yet he is an alcoholic. We first saw Fred about a year ago in the hospital we had where he had gone to recover from a bad case of jitters. It was his first experience of this kind and he was much ashamed of it. Far from admitting that he was an alcoholic, he told himself he came to the hospital to rest his nerves. The doctors intimated strongly that he might be worse than he realized. For a few days, he was depressed about his condition. He made up his mind to quit drinking altogether. It never occurred to him that perhaps he could not do so, in spite of his character and standing. Fred would not believe himself an alcoholic, much less accept a spiritual remedy for his problem. We told him what we knew about alcoholism. He was interested and conceded that he had some of the symptoms, but he was a long way from admitting that he could do nothing about it himself. He was positive that this humiliating experience, plus the knowledge that he had just acquired, would keep him sober for the rest of his life, and self-knowledge would fix this. What a powerful paragraph. Okay, so this is Leia S. Um, and what I'd like to say is that we just read about um Jim and the Jay Walker and um things that we're we're really um trying to identify um who is a compulsive overreader. If you don't if I don't concede to myself, to my innermost self, that I am a person who cannot control some certain foods, then I am doomed. I am doomed. And that is in the, the very, very first step. That um, um, no matter what, what went on in my life until now, if I don't admit that I cannot control this food, then i'm not gonna I'm not gonna be able to grasp this program. This program is a wonderful program. This program is a program for life and um living in the twelve steps has really really helped with every area of my life that I didn't even think about um, oh wow um i i really I really was not. A fat girl. I was a compulsive overeater, but I did not know, I did not connect that. But it came out later in life that I couldn't control myself, that I used to go yo-yoing from my diets up and down. And um, I thank God that I found Overeaters Anonymous and especially that I found a vision for you. And thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Leah S. Okay, we're on page 39,
0: starting with the uh, sentence. Fred is a partner, and we will be focusing our comments on that paragraph. Who would like to share? M A T T M. Okay, I'm not hearing anybody. So. Um, Talk about um, Larry. Matt I think
4: I heard Larry.
5: G, Matt M. Janice M. M Matt, L, L, okay. Again, I,
0: Matt M. Larry K. Matt M, 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 M. Nessa.
5: Chris Matt, Janice,
0: M, M. Matt, I have you about 12 times. Right, Thank you. Chrissy Thank G.
6: You. Chrissy G.
0: R. Janice M. Amanda R. Janice M. UL. UL. Okay, sorry, Matt, I didn't mean to be snarky. Okay, we have Larry K., Matt M., Harlan G., Nessa R., Chrissy G., Amanda R., Janice M., and Duell. We'll just go with those eight to start. So go ahead, Larry K., followed by Matt M.
7: Okay, thanks so much. Larry K., Recovered Compulsible Reader from Chicago. You know, so we're reading about Fred here, and, um, you know, what i what one of the things that i draw out from this particular paragraph about fred because the whole point of this is to identify in um and for me um uh, you know when we read about fred here's a guy who look it says you know he was a partner in an accounting firm this is a professional guy he's got a good income good family life at home he's married he has uh children and this guy has such an attractive personality that he makes friends with everyone. I mean, it sounds like his life is going just wonderful. You know, he might be a little bit different, say, than, uh, than Jim or the jaywalker in terms of, you know, of, of his life. And here it is, you know, we read that to all appearances, he, this guy appears stable. And I, I could relate to that. You know, in many respects, to the outside world, I appeared stable. Um, there was lots of evidence that you know things were going reasonably well in my life professionally had a family roof over my head, car in the garage the whole deal yet what what I draw so I can identify with Fred, and it says the doctor intimated strongly that he might be worse than he realized, so this guy began to cultivate some self knowledge um, and, and and he was interested. He, he even conceded as I had done that he had some of the symptoms, but he was a long way from admitting that he could do nothing about it himself. And that's why I had to identify in with Fred. I really could because I continued to try to make changes. But like Fred, you know, regardless of how humiliating the experience was for me, and with all the knowledge in the world that I had, that I had acquired, self-knowledge i thought for a time would fix this but it wouldn't see i had the allergy of the body and i came to understand with greater depth that i had this obsession of the mind that would drive me back regardless of my professional life regardless of my intellect regardless of any self-knowledge that i had about myself i would be driven back again and again to this disease and so the biggest thing that i pull from here is identifying in doesn't matter how good your life is going if you're a pickle you're a pickle and i'm a pickle grateful pickle and with that i'll pass thanks
0: okay larry the pickle thank you um now we have matt m followed by harlan g uh
8: thank you moderator i'm sorry for that i thought i didn't hear my name get called um this is matt larry. m this is matt m composed eater from new jersey um, Fred has a lot in common, also with the man of thirty. Um, he was a drinker, but he had he had everything going for him as well. You know, he had a, he has a career. Um, this guy has a family. The man of thirty didn't have a family, but he had a successful career, just like Fred. And um, there's a lot of ego in this first paragraph. These first two paragraphs. Uh, he thinks he he might he he might think he has as an alcoholic. He just doesn't want to admit it, though. Even he, he thinks he could do it based on self-knowledge alone. It says that he was positive, this humiliated experience, but the knowledge he had acquired would keep him sober the rest of his life. Self-knowledge would fix it. I don't know about him, but for me, self-knowledge didn't fix much, you know, I, I make myself too smart for my own good. But this program. I'm definitely intelligent, able-bodied in other parts of my life, but when it comes to the food, I am totally powerless. I have no control whatsoever with the food. And, um, there's a lot of ego and ego stands for easing God out, you know? And, uh, He's definitely, I hear a lot of arrogance there in his tone and just by the way he's describing himself. And um, that, that fits me to a T, you know. Um, I definitely understand now that I am a compulsive overeater, a hopeless variety. It takes a lot. It takes a village to raise a compulsive overeater. I know I have a lot of people in my corner, especially here on the meeting and other friends from other Areas of the program and also in and out of the program. I'm just very grateful that I know I'm not alone in this process because believe me, if I was alone in this process, I'd be dead. Because you don't get to 650 pounds on overnight. It took years, of years of compulsive overeating for me to get there, which means that it was years and years of not having a life whatsoever. I've always been obese, so I can definitely relate, you know, to these stories in this chapter because it tells me that, uh, you know, it, I can get to as bad as I think I can, and I have, you know. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Matt. Okay, Harlan G., you're up, followed by Nessa R.
9: Good morning, Katie. This is Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. How are, how, <coughs> sorry, can I be heard? <coughs> sorry, yes, can I? perfect. Oh, thank you, thank you. The story of the of Fred is really taken from something that is in real life. A person that was originally in or in the original 100. When the big book was being printed, Hank Parkhurst and Bill Wilson went to some of the members so that they could buy stock in Works Publishing Company. And one of the early members named Harry Brick actually bought quite a number of the shares of stock because he was indeed a partner in a well-known accounting firm. And his story appears in the first edition and the title of the story is A Different Slant. So if you have a copy of it, A Different Slant, this is where this story is taken from. This story illustrates the fact that in order to, uh, it illustrates a couple of things so far, that you don't have to be in the gutter to be an alcoholic. And that's one of the things that's very, very important about this. But if we take a look at something here, very key, when the big book wants to tell me something, it tells it to me many times in different ways. Bottom of 39. Fred would not believe himself an alcoholic. He wouldn't take step one. If you don't take step one, much less accept a spiritual remedy for his problem, you don't need to. We told him what we knew of alcoholism, top of 40, and what we knew of alcoholism, what they're telling him is what Silkworth told them, of the allergy of the body and the twist of the mind he was interested and conceded he had some of the symptoms but he was a long way from admitting he could do nothing about it himself he was positive that this humiliating experience plus the knowledge he had acquired would keep him sober the rest of his life self knowledge would fix it if I go back to page 7 It says here on page 7, you don't have to flip back if you're driving to work, my incredible behavior in the face of a desperate desire to stop was explained. I'm in Bill's story. Understanding myself now, I fared forth in high hope. For three or four months, the goose hung high. I went to town regularly and even made a little money. Surely this was the answer, self-knowledge. But it was not, for the frightful day came when I drank once more. So, once again, we are leaning on this information that really comes to us from the common sense of drinking by Peabody. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. There are people on this line right now that are 20 times smarter than I'll ever be in my life. And there are people on this line that may not be, whatever it is. It doesn't matter. As Larry says, he's a pickle. I'm a pickle, we will never go back to being cucumbers again, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic, and if I do not work these steps, as much as this disease has ripped me to shreds, I will return to the food, and I will do so like a dog to its master, because the only way I have of relieving the intense pain of not eating Oreo cookies is to eat Oreo cookies unless I work the steps and have a spiritual awakening as the result of those steps. Those are my only two choices. And next week we're going to see where Fred goes from here. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you for allowing me to share.
0: Thank you, Harlan.
6: Okay, Nessa R., you're up, followed by Chrissy G., Thank you. Good morning, Vision for You. Uh, This is Nessa R., uh, Recovered, Compulsive Overeater in Toronto, Canada. And hats off to you, Katie, for uh, uh, making sense of the jumble of desperate voices wanting to share. Um, So uh, I love the shares that have preceded mine. Uh, I just want to take a different slant. Um, because here we have Fred, who is successful by, by any measure, by any stretch of the imagination. He's got a high-power career in, in which he does well. He's got a lot of money. He probably has a big house. Uh, he's well-respected in his profession. Um, he seems to have a, a nice family. Um, and how many times did I say to myself, if only I had more money, um, I um, wouldn't have to eat, if only my life wasn't so stressful if only you know my children got along if only i had a big house um you know all these if only's that kept me in the food you know i blamed my addiction on the circumstances and here we have fred showing us that it is not the circumstances that drive that drive us to um, to our drug of, of no choice it is not the circumstances that keep us there because you know based on the circumstances Fred has absolutely no reason to drink but he does he does because he has an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind that keep them in the cycle of disease that we learn about in the doctor's opinion and it is the same thing with me with regards to food. It is not the circumstances that drive me to the food. Um, by the same token, you know, it is not the circumstances that will help or hinder my recovery. Circumstances are just external factors. You know, the only thing that will help or hinder my recovery is the extent to which I am committed to the approach outlining this book, to the extent that I do my best to work um this 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 program of recovery which means following the instructions outlining the big book um in the 12 steps in entire abstinence it doesn't matter that my life is stressful it doesn't matter that i have no time it doesn't matter that i'm too busy doing this or doing that you know those are just circumstances the same way that the circumstances you know, do not make me an addict. It is not the circumstances that will help me or prevent me from, from being recovered. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much.
10: Nessa. Chrissy G. Europe, followed by Amanda R. Hi, Katie. It's Chrissy G. Recovered, Compulsive Overeater and Anorexic from New Jersey. And um, they're cautionary tales. And, you know, my 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 ears need to perk up when i hear when I hear these stories, and I need to be able to see myself in them and i I'm working with a lot of people right now who, like me, are too smart you know for their their own good and analyze and think think try to think the the bite through, try to think the binge through, and you know uh do this this game where okay, maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's the egg whites. Maybe I have to eliminate the grain. You know, that's what caused the binge. And and trying to think their way through to abstinence. And I have to tell you, it's such a hindrance. And it says it in the twelve and twelve, in the um, the book of of AA, the the twelve steps, and twelve traditions. It says that there. It talks about two blocks to getting sober, and one of them is being too too smart and the the other one is a block with the higher power when you actually have faith and lost it you know those are two of the biggest blocks and i see them i see them so often in people who are struggling so i think that this is like a really important thing to look at to to um really search your your own search yourself if you're struggling and say am am i Using my own analysis of this disease to try to fix it, or am I being teachable and saying, "Okay, you show me, you tell me," um, because that's a really important, a really important quality to have when when getting abstinent. That, with that, I pass. Thank you,
0: Chrissy. Amanda R. You're up, followed by Janet M.
11: Hello, this is Amanda R. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Maine. And uh, what jumped out at me this morning was most of the way through that paragraph where it says he made up his mind to quit drinking altogether. It never occurred to him that perhaps he could not do so. And it made me think of this time um, just a little while back where I was leaving a, a local meeting that I'd been to, and as uh, so we're, we're heading out to the parking lot. Somebody said to me, "Don't." What was it? I always get this backwards. Don't eat, no matter what. And apparently, I didn't realize at the time. Apparently, what you're supposed to respond is, "No matter what, don't eat." And the more I when I, they told me that, that's how it went. And I, I kind of thought about that afterwards. And the more I think about it, the more I, it it kind of makes me sad because. That is the message of, I am determined. I am going to beat this thing. I am, by my willpower, I am not going to eat no matter what. And, you know, I don't know, perhaps I misunderstood it. Um, but I think it could easily be, be construed that way. And there's a lot more to this program than just don't eat no matter what. There's a lot more than, you know, just desperately resisting the food Because, number one, that's just not going to work if, for an addict, that's not... That just plain old fails uh, sooner or later. But beyond that, that desperate resisting of whatever food, there's freedom and, and transformation and just a new life on the other side of these steps where we don't care about... I mean, I've got... Some of my somebody gave me jelly beans for Easter, and they're they're sitting over here on the top of my bookcase, waiting for one of my friends to come by so I can give them to them because I don't want them. And I mean, they're about as interesting to me as as a bowl of marbles. And really, it's possible to get there where we care about life and and living it instead of food and eating it and eating it and eating it and resisting it and then eating it and resisting it. And I don't know. So, I don't know, I just offer that hope to people, and and I pass.
0: Thank you, Amanda. Okay, Janice M., you're up, and then we'll have duelle and then we'll open it up for more.
5: Well, thank you so much, Katie, uh, for your service, and good morning to everyone. My name is Janice M., and I'm a a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Oh, what, what she has all these illustrations. You know, from the time of the man of 30 to, you know, continuing on to gym, et cetera. Now we have Fred. So what it shows to me is my disease does not care one bit about who I am, what kind of car I drive, how much money I have in the bank, what kind of a, what, what my husband does for a living. My disease does not care. What I, if I'm in the gutter or if I'm up on the mountain, it doesn't care. It doesn't, you know, it happens to everybody. But the illustrations show me one thing. Not knowing, the disease doesn't care who I am, but you know what? We all get the same results from the disease, no matter who we are. Because if I am a compulsive overeater, and I have to be convinced of that because there's no, I mean, I have to be convinced that I do not have the power. Now, of course, if I still think that I have the power, then I don't need a power in my life. So if I don't, you know, if I don't have the step one, I can't go to step two. I mean, it's obvious uh, because I'm going to still be finding a way, trying to find a way to get rid of this disease. And, of course, I know once I have it, that's it. That's it. So, you know, the self-knowledge has to be smashed. Who I am has to be smashed. My pride has to be smashed. You know, I think, oh God, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll I won't be like them. I, I won't kill. I may gossip, but I'm not going to kill. And I don't, I'm not going to get 500 pounds. No, no. And I'm not going to get diabetes. See, that's all pride. And pride is the leader of, you know, pride before the fall. So we all have one thing in common. All these illustrations is that the thinking. I am powerless. I don't have the power. I cannot stop and I cannot stay stopped because I don't have any will power. And you know, if you notice on the top of page forty, even even the fellowship, you know, they they you know, had a twelve step call. Fred had a twelve step call. He you know, he got the information, that's not gonna help us. The fellowship is wonderful. I couldn't I wouldn't be here every day if I didn't need it. Um, and wanted, um, but that's not going to give me my, my spiritual awakening. That's the problem, because I'll still have the problem. <laughs> there has to be a power greater than myself. All these men, they have to find a power in order to get spiritual awakening so that they can have that obsession of the mind removed. And thank you much, Pess.
0: Thank you, Janet. Um, okay, Do well, you're up.
12: Good morning. This is Duell, Recover Compulsive Reader in New York. And um, I, I love this self-knowledge. Um, you know, I was just reflecting on how many people I sponsor. I sponsor doctors, I sponsor nurses, I sponsor lawyers, I sponsor professors. And they're pretty, you know, they're, they're smarter than I could ever be. But one thing they all had in common um, is they couldn't stay abstinent. And my favorite was nutritionists, sponsoring a nutritionist, boy, I tell you. um, Or people that um, in real time, you know, know the big book, um, but can't stay abstinent. And and this is not about self-knowledge. This is not about what you know. Because people come into program, uh, they get abstinent. They think that's the solution. And, you know, a couple of weeks later, a month later, two months later, they break their abstinence. And they're wondering why they can't, they can't get this program. Um, other people, you know, work the steps. They're doing pretty good. Step nine, step four, they're back in relapse. Why are they not getting it? You know, and if you don't get the most important part of this program, which is you need to collaborate, work with, cooperate with your higher power in order to work this program. If you think that you're going to do this alone, by yourself, Uh, Because you are smart enough, you think you're intelligent enough, you think you don't have enough manageability in your life, um, you're not going to get this program. Um, I know from experience because that was my experience. Um, You know, I came into program thinking I knew it all. (laughs) Don't tell me how to work this program. I can read the book. I can figure it out myself. Well, you know what? It took me years and years of being in misery it wasn't until i surrendered put down my food and turned to a higher power that this program really began to work for me you know and it takes action you know this is about practicing the program and what is practicing practicing to surrender practicing to give up things you know, in our lives. And, and, and letting the results, not trying to get the results, letting the results come from higher power, not trying to get them. And once I let go of control, I was able to get the recovery. So the steps are 12. It's not just one. It's not just about putting down the food. It's about working through these steps with your higher power to get that transformation of a New and exciting life, you know, and and a new way of thinking and a new way of being. And with that, I pass.
0: Thank you, do okay. Uh, who else would like to share?
13: Sally. Barbara E. Leah
1: M. Melissa
0: C. Melissa C. Okay, Barbara E. Okay, I have e. Sally A. Barbara E. Leah M. Melissa C.
1: Who else, Rock, I thought Sparky it was yes, I'm sorry, could you say that slower? Sparky B.
0: Sparky B, I don't think that's yes. what you're saying. Oh, Sparky, is. Okay. yes. Okay, great. Thanks. Okay. Um, okay, Sally A followed by Barbara E, then Leia M, Melissa C, and Sparky B. Go ahead, Sally.
1: Thank you. Good morning. A vision for you, Sally A. in New York, a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. And I guess what's really important for me this morning to say is we see that we we keep hearing these words, that it's not about self-knowledge. Unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge. And Often we have to look at our motive for what we're doing. So why are we on this meeting every morning? What are we here for? Are we here to grow our knowledge? Are we here to know more than than we knew yesterday? Is there something we're going to find out here that's going to turn a key and change our thinking so that we stop eating compulsively? And the truth that I have found for myself is that my motive for being here for so long was not the right motive. My motive was self-knowledge. But what I have learned now is that what I have is a connection disorder. It's more than this eating disorder. The eating disorder is a byproduct of my connection disorder. I have a connectivity disorder. So what are you saying, Sally? I'm saying my focus has been be accident. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And and these do's, we have to do these do's to put the food down. That's true. And I'm not knocking the do's. But what I am saying is that the real problem is my connection, my connection to you and my connection to God. That's the truth. I say to myself on a daily basis, Sally, don't focus on being abstinent today. That's not what's going to get you abstinent. Get focused on getting connected to God and a few people that God puts in your path to be connected to so that you can be more connected to God. That is what will help you Put the food down and the food thoughts. That is what will lead you to where you're supposed to be. Be connected. Thanks for letting me share with that, I Thank you, Sally. Okay,
13: Barbara E., you're up, followed by Leah M.
1: Thank you so much.
13: Hello, everyone. A beautiful, sunny day in New Jersey. I always said, I did not have a higher power. All I needed was a good food plan, and I had many good food plans, and they all worked until I stopped working them because I was arrogant. When I came into Overeaters Anonymous 20 years ago, I said, I don't have a higher power, and someone said to me, where do you go for comfort? Where do you go when you're awake? Where do you go when you're sad? And the answer, of course, was my refrigerator. And she said, well, there's your higher power. It's in your refrigerator. And it's true. I would go to pray at my refrigerator, open the door and look at it and look at it and choose something in the middle of night. That's why I always said there's a light in the refrigerator. But... I do believe I have a higher power now that is not centered in my kitchen and is not centered in Dunkin' Donuts or is not centered in the pizza shop. I have a higher power that comes from a different source. I saw a movie way back, and some of you as old as I may remember it, The Harder They Fall, Humphrey Bogart. It was a fight movie. I was a child. That's the story of my life. Every time I went back into the food, and I did seven times before I got here, every time I went back in the food, it was another fall down into an e- even deeper crevasse. I never thought I'd crawl my way back up. I had messages, but I ignored them. I did not think I needed the steps. On Wednesday, I went to the Bronx Botanical Garden to see the Chihuly glass exhibit. Wonderful. There was Chihuly, Chihuly glass at the top of the library there on the sixth floor. I didn't realize there was an elevator. I took the steps. I took them one step at a time. I'm not capable of taking two at a clip. Same thing with my program. I have to take the steps one step at a time. And if I didn't, as, as was said earlier, admit step one, then I couldn't go on to step two and certainly never accept step three. Today, 20 years later, I'm at that point. I know my higher power is not centered in my self-will, in my arrogance, or in my kitchen. It's place of wonderment, and every time I go on this meeting, I hear it over and over again. Thank you all. Have a good weekend. Thank you, Barbara. Leah M., you're
0: up, followed by Melissa C.
14: Thank you so much. Uh, Fred would not believe himself an alcoholic, much less accept a spiritual remedy for his problem well, Fred's going to have to experience some more pain um, until he's beaten into a state of reasonableness, and, and I get that. Um, that certainly was the case for me, and it is certainly the case for people, you know, that I've worked with over the years, and, you know, it is remarkable, you know, Um It is remarkable because, you know, compulsive overeaters, especially smart compulsive overeaters who have been around the big book, who know the text, um, you know, it just magnifies the nature of addiction. You know, why do we defy and delay and deny and resist? That's addiction. It's the only disease known to man where the sufferer has no enthusiasm for recovery. You know, you're given the opportunity to arrest an illness and have a whole new life, and yet compulsive overeaters will often say, I'll give that thought, my life's too busy, I've got other things going on. It's just the nature of the beast. You know, compulsive overeaters of my type against all the evidence. I mean, most people, much like our fellowship, have been around Overeaters Anonymous for years, most for decades. But compulsive overeaters of my type, against all evidence, persist by saying, I'm not really like that, therefore I do not have to do these things. And that's the nature of compulsive overeating. It is cunning, it is baffling, it is powerful, it's comical, but it's tragic at the same time. Because what other disease can you think of? If someone was diagnosed with cancer, if someone's diagnosed with AIDS, you know, different people who have cancer, except they have cancer. Here we are, real compulsive overeaters. We act like we're compulsive overeaters. We look like we're compulsive overeaters. We have the history of compulsive overeating, yet our mind says we're not really compulsive overeaters. Therefore, we do not have to do the things that you do. And it seems to be the only disease known to man where the person has no enthusiasm for recovery. And I had to get beaten to that pole because unless I humble myself by taking step one and saying, I am done, I cannot do this. I don't need the rest of the program because if I think I have the power over food, I have the power over this disease and I do not need to believe in a power greater than myself to restore me to sanity and if I don't believe that then I don't have to turn my will and my life over to that power and if I don't do that, well I don't have to do steps four through nine because this that's the essence of step three. And if I don't do inventory steps, then I certainly don't have to continue to take inventory in step 10, improve my conscious contact daily with God, and and step 12. It's a recipe for disaster I'm just wrapping up, because step one, denial, plus pride, plus arrogance, plus self-reliance, plus entitlement, forget it. <laughs> you know, get ready for more beating. And with that, I pass.
0: Thank you, Leah. Melissa C., you're up, followed by
5: Sparky B.
4: Hi, good morning everyone. It's Melissa she recovered compulsive overheater in New York. And um, you know, I, I'm thinking about that humiliation, you know, that that here he is, he's humiliated. Um, and so he thought, All right, the embarrassment. Um, and now some knowledge. I'm not really as bad as this. I don't need any spiritual help. Um, I have some self-knowledge now. I have the pain, the bite of a painful experience, and that's going to keep me, you know, from picking up. And, um, you know, and and of course I have, I could write a novel about all the humiliating experiences that I endured. And... um, and it was never enough to keep me from, from returning to picking up again and again because somewhere I did not believe that I really had this. You know, I thought that I was smart, and I had evidence, um, like other people had said, of of what looks like a good normal life. I had um, all the things that, that qualify for what a normal life is, and so surely I can't have this, but, um, you know, Humiliation is really, it is a powerful teacher. And um, and in other areas of my life, when I was humiliated, when I was embarrassed, I, my behavior changed. You know, when I was young, I, I had a, a cred, my first credit card. And I ran up a debt that I needed help to pay off. And I was really embarrassed and humiliated. And I paid it off. But, you know, thank God... Um, That addiction is not my addiction. And so I learned from the pain of my humiliation. I didn't necessarily need a program to help me with that. This addiction, you know, my compulsive overeating, humiliation was not enough. But my humiliation was important because what it did do was um, from enough time, from enough pain, it told me that I am powerless you know, that I was going to repeat it again and again. And humiliation allowed me to actually fully take step one, that I conceded to my innermost self, I made the self-diagnosis, that I needed a spiritual transformation. And um, thank you. With that, I'll pass.
0: Thank you so much, Melissa. Okay, Sparky
2: B., you're up. Uh, recovered compulsive overeater from Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, thank you for letting me join your call today. Um, I uh, I look at this and I see so much of myself and the appearances that I thought I was keeping up. He has so attractive a personality that he makes friends with everyone. To all appearances, he's a stable, well-balanced individual. Well, the thing is that I sort of had two modes of being before I came into the program. It was Either I was on the food, and I looked like I had my shit together, or I wasn't, and I was crying my eyes out. I had two modes of living. It was eating and crying. And the fact is that while I had um, a business, and, you know, I was, I was moving forward in my life in some ways, in other ways, things weren't going. You know, while, while friends were going to grad school and taking out mortgages and getting married, um, I was paying my bills and using every last cent thereafter. To go eat, and um, you know, comforting myself with food because I had nothing, no, no frame of reference, or you know, any other way to deal with the world. And the fact is, walking into a meeting and being able to bear my timid self and be around people who had found a way through it, through God and through the steps, and um, you know, it, it seeing that it was possible was what let me one by one release these things that I was trying to manage by myself I was you know I looked like I was doing a great job of doing but really I was doing a crap job of managing it and the fact is only when I had a higher power um and and you know saw that this this higher power could first keep me out of the food and then help me live a life of, of of service and um and a life beyond my wildest dreams um was I able to to move through that and I mean, the fact of this program at this point, when I wasn't eating before, I would have such high tension, uh, full body emotional tension that I, I didn't know, you know left from right. And when I was eating, I was so sedate that if a house was on fire, I wouldn't be moved. And because of recovery now, I can get a little twist in my stomach when I feel like I've misstepped or misspoken or something. And because I'm working strong 10 steps um, prompting and admitting that I'm wrong, find my part, see where resentments are coming from, and throughout the day turn these things over to God and the fellow and to be of service to others. Um, these things, living honestly, being present, and actually letting my emotions you know, come through, and, and, uh, and being okay with everything, um, and knowing that all of that stuff is finite, and the higher power that delivered me from food obsession and delivers me on a daily basis to get me through Um, it's a miracle and with that i'll pass
0: thank you um okay well i'm going to take the last two minutes on katie f a recovered compulsive overeater in virginia and um this line um he was positive that this humiliating experience plus the knowledge he had acquired would keep him sober the rest of his life self-knowledge would fix it and I um, thought I had that thought when I was 14 years old. Um, That's when I went to my first O.A. meeting. And I just thought, well, that's very interesting. But, you know, I just don't think I'm quite as bad as you people. So, um, you know, I'm going to go prove that I don't need this. And, you know, I uh, came back, you know, crawled slightly back in at 21, but still, just kept getting self-knowledge, self-knowledge, self-knowledge and um, would not you know, fully concede to my innermost self that I was a compulsive ever eater. I just thought that um, you know, I needed to change all these external things and then I would be okay. Um, so this disease has a way of plummeting you into reality. Um, you know, As several have shared this morning, once you're a pickle, You can't go back to being a cucumber. And I love that analogy because it is so, you know, I have made pickles before and, you know, it goes through a real process and there's just absolutely no way you can turn that back into a fresh cucumber. Um, And I am the same way. Um, I had to, you know, (laughs) basically double my weight from when I came in um, at 14 until, I finally uh surrendered at twenty seven um, you know that's I had to live another life before i uh would accept the fact that I had this illness and that I was never going to be able to eat like regular people and I'm so grateful to accept that today and to let go of my thinking and to trust other people well sorry okay okay, so that we are now at. 7.55. So thank you to everyone who shared. Um, please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. The share ID for today, May 12th, is 9933. That's 9933. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Tina S. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only.